Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 60. Do yourself a favor, don't stay. This week we're discussing the 2009 Doctor Who autumn special, The Waters of Mars, and season 1, episode 1 of Angel, City of. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, Waters of Mars. Waters of Mars. This is great. You know, my week has actually been kind of filled up with Mars thoughts um, beyond watching just this episode. Uh, there was a, one of the podcasts that I listen to is is Penn Sunday School, which is... Um, uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller fame mm. uh, does a weekly podcast with a couple of guys that he talks about various and sundry things. Um, and this last week was actually a, a pre-recorded show, I think, that was a um, interview with a woman who is on the short list to be um, part of a of a private exploration expedition to mars to set up a colony and it's a it's a one-way trip so um when i was i i watched this episode the first time before i heard that podcast and i heard the podcast and watched the episode again i was like man this is crazy because you know when you when you sort of watch it you're like ah you know and i think even you were saying to me like oh you know you think about it as something that could happen like well into the future but the way that this woman is talking is like this process the the plan is in, in her, 10 years in her lifetime yeah yeah and she's she's like young like in her 20s or maybe early 30s so you know what i mean like right but they're they're thinking you know 10 years down the line is when they're going to start sending people right and and you know they're starting on the process now and it's going to once you know they finally select there's still going to be years literally of training and preparation all this but but you're thinking about this and you're like I mean, I'm I'm in my mid thirties. You're younger than me. Like this, we could totally have a colony like this, right? In our lifetime, yeah. And and so it just kind of put a whole different perspective. Um, and then completely incidentally, I also started reading um, Podcane of Mars, which is a book <laughs> by Robert Heinlein. Um, and and you know just very different at that point there's colonies on both mars and venus and you know sort of trade going back and forth and whatever but um just sort of you know again to get that context and that was that was already sort of on my list of things to read so it wasn't it just sort of incidentally worked out that i've been reading it this week yeah. while we've been watching this uh episode right, the martian so, episode um, yeah that that shocked me the, what you told me about that podcast because um i think i told you so the kind of inspiration for this episode was, I think it was in um, 2008 uh, that uh, NASA confirmed the presence of water on Mars. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, right, so that was right. kind of a, it's a huge, huge thing, you know, because it sort of implies that's the, the necessity for life, right? Like mm -hmm. that's kind of what you need. So it doesn't prove that there's life, but it certainly seems like that's in there's the at least yeah the c conditions under which life could have been yeah formed yep. yeah this is sort of the 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 necessity for that um, so you know that kind of you can see where that that inspiration came from of you know the you, you know yeah. watching that news report on TV um, and. Um, 
you know, kind of setting your brain going of what if the water's tainted and everything. But, um, but I had just kind of written off like, oh, it's one of those near future episodes. You never expect them to be particularly ac accurate in their predictions mm -hmm. of what, you know, you know, in the sixties they're predicting, but by the eighties, we're all going to have hovercrafts and all sorts of things. Right, like, you don't right, kind of, right. you know, yeah. there's, you don't, take them that seriously or, or um, even in the 80s when they were making you know back to the future what the early 2000s right, right. were going to be hoverboards like, you know? and stuff yeah exactly right. um so you've kind of just put this in the realm of one of those stories um you know 2059 you know 60 years or whatever it is um in the future so it's certainly i think i had just written it off as quite optimistic that 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 would be a possibility that there might be people you know traveling to mars by that date but this is far sooner than that um <laughs> yeah. well so uh, planned it's planned you know, planned. It's planned. <laughs> but but the fact that plans exist means you know nasa's not wasting their time on something yeah. that well has and no future so and and that it's it's not even nasa it's it's actually a private effort you know oh, okay. so it's it's and which is kind of even more intriguing because you get the mentions of um what what they say like the branson family trust or whatever what is it yeah. don't they say like refer some meaning of, i took that to mean like richard branson like the 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 virgin guy don't don't they make a reference to that in this episode you know what I, they might have i might have missed it um so I, you probably heard that right i i may un, unless i misunderstood it but mm -hmm. um you know, something like that. That would that, make where, sense. That would make sense. Like where you have, you know, this, right. Cause he's into like this sort of like the near orbit space stuff too. Right. Yeah. Like it's not just, I know he's into everything, but anyway, <laughs> like, like the idea being that, you know, there are probably, it is probably going to be, you know, there's going to be some government, but also some private, you know, efforts to reach other planets and, and, yeah. you know, further out into space and stuff um, as you know, everything is, I mean, you know, Christopher Columbus, when he sailed, you know, he kind of had his own ships, but he also sought funding from, you know, the governmental authorities of his time. So, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always going to be sort of that hybrid thing going on, but, but just that idea, like you get the sort of the competition, um, you know, in the dialogue between the characters here of, you know, oh, maybe it's the Philippines or, you know, maybe right, it's whoever, right, right. like yeah. who's, who's messing around with us. So clearly there's like other colonies too. Like there's, there's sort of a Com race. Com competitors and everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a little bit of a space race going on, but I um, like too that, um, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about like the rest of the, the, the colony and everything that, you know, all of the characters aren't, hugely well developed and I think that's fine for the episode it kind of does what it needs to do but one of the things I do like about it is the diversity among them you know that you get the sense sure that, you know it's a in, this is in which makes sense if it's a private thing rather than a, a government funded mission that that it's a very disparate group from you know they got the best from all over the world working on this and everything yeah. um it's one of the things that helps you to sort of distinguish everybody i think since you don't have a lot of time to get to know them um yeah it gives yeah. them a sense of of texture and uh a little right. bit more you know right. and it, that feels kind of right that that 60 years in the future this will be sort of a global effort and everything yeah um i and and i found that reference it uh it's when they're sort of trying to figure out where the doctor 
you know, is from and, and, and they go, he's got to be one of the independents, right? You know, and was it the Branson inheritance lot? That's what I was saying. The family okay. trust yeah. Inher- inheritance lot is what they say. And yeah. then he's like, right, right. Okay. You got me. So I'm the doctor, you know, like he kind of waves yeah. them off. Like, yeah. If you and I, think I didn't that's make I that am. connection to, to Virgin, but that's, I'm <laughs> sure that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the, but yeah, that idea that there is, you know, going to be sort of all these hands kind of involved and, and all of that. Um, I think, I think that's, I think it's an interesting one and, and also one that I think you can see is likely, you know, from a, you know, actual what's going to happen, you know, like, like, and we've, I wasn't thinking of this while I was watching it, but other than, other than the, you know, the viral monster thing, like from a science perspective, this seems like closer to the sort of thing that could actually happen than maybe any other episode of Doctor Who that I've seen sure. so far. You sure. know, just maybe the most the most hard sci fi one in terms of like you said, not not so much the, the Yeah. And the, I don't the know possession, but the idea of traveling to another planet and there being some sort of unknown viral you know. Yeah, I, I don't know how hard sci-fi because they don't get into a lot of explanation, which is sort of a yeah, a, no, that's a, true. You, you know, a, a staple of hard sci-fi. They get you know they actually explain sort of all the calculations yeah, and chemically stuff, but, how it works. But I guess just yeah. the yeah the more realistic sci-fi, if that makes sense, like the more yeah more consistent with the way the actual world works with reality as we know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you're and you're right too. Like even just about the base itself and how mm-hmm. they function as a crew and everything. And, um, and then the need to have so many airlocks and what, you know, mm-hmm. which also would be waterproof and that kind of thing. They make sort of the reference to that. Like, so, you know, just, yeah, that there very is, but then also, you know, the idea that, you know, you hear a bird tweeting in the background and of course it's to keep down the bugs and you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like right. there does seem to be a lot, a lot more attention to that, to that sort of detail. I don't want to imply that they don't, always pay attention to detail it's just often it's maybe a little more fantastical detail that they sure. pay attention to <laughs> yeah yeah um which is fine i just like i said I, I wasn't thinking about that while watching it that's more of a, a reflective bit um from my perspective but anyway um yeah no i just thought that was really interesting to 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 because i did listen to that podcast right in the middle of watching the two episodes and it it completely yeah. changed the way that i watched yeah yeah so um really really interesting yeah i mean it takes something that's fairly plausible and adds a whole new layer of achievability to it yeah absolutely and we can actually even um link to that just so that people have sort of the context if they want to listen to it as well i will warn Mm -hmm. though our listeners that pendulette tends to not his um uh language is a little more vivid and colorful than the language that we use on this podcast. So he's a little if, sweary. If if, if if that bothers anyone, then you know, you're forewarned. Yeah. Um it doesn't yeah. bother me particularly, but you know, we also choose not to use that sort of language here. So yeah. um, fair warning. Anyway. Yeah. The uh the the I guess be, where I'd like to start then is just sort of with that more realistic Mars colony. Um love the David Bowie reference. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Bowie based one. <laughs> um, of course. 
at the same time what else are you gonna name it <laughs> at the same time i'm really glad they chose not to go with the obvious spiders of mars as the monster you know uh-huh. so um anyway whatever uh <laughs> Wise the, the 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 uh I guess there's not much. I mean, we know that they're the first colony, but it seems that there's other people either on Mars by now, like since they established 17 months earlier, I think. Yeah, we get the I think dating. they say like two years so, or something. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, yeah. So there's either people in the process of establishing colonies or, or who have established colonies since then. So they're not the only ones They're They're the first ones. Um yeah, I it don't seems. know. I wonder. I I always had the impression that they were the the first, and maybe there are other plans in progress, but that they're okay. The, the, and that, the only ones at this point. Um, that and that and I could don't be know as that well. It's ever stated one way or the other. No, but again, you know, with the reference to the Philippines and the the independent crews, the right. implication was that there were at least it was at least possible that there could be other people on the planet yep, yep. and possibly either establishing or in established. Right. Uh, and that's colonies. kind of behind the, the not hostility, but the kind of wariness of the doctor. Well, I mean, they don't expect anybody to show up. So that's kind of surprising, but that, right. That's Which where you wouldn't necessarily, to, that, you know, he could be here to sabotage something, you know, that's right. why you right. can kind of justify, you know, having a gun on him and everything because, mm-hmm. you know, he's here to sort of, you know, some for some rival, you know, expedition or something. Yeah. Um, and then just sort of situationally, I mean, we know that this is the day on which they're supposed to all have died. Um, yeah. And the doctor knows that right up front. Like, you know, as soon as he realizes who they are and what the date is, you know, it really gets to him yeah. that, you know, this is a momentous point in history and an important point. And um, we can, we'll talk about that maybe a little later while we're talking about the doctor, like his, his whole theory mm-hmm. of um, whatever, but just that this is a day of import. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, and, or at and, least there's a moment within this day that is of import. Sure. Um, you know, depending and, and, how broadly that moment spans by definition, I guess. But anyway, yeah, I think that's a really nice twist on the kind of, you know, we're used to seeing, apart from occasional episodes that play with, you know, I think of like Girl in the Fireplace, where you're kind of, is it a past story or a future story? You're not quite sure. But right, most right. of them, most of them you can say past, present, or future, you know? Um, sure. Whereas this has a nice kind of timey wiminess to it, I think, because... It's a future story, but it's one where generally when the doctor goes in the future, you don't get the sense that he knows exactly what's going to happen. It's like he just shows up somewhere random and gets involved. Whereas here, to him, it is the past in a sense. Like he knows the events. It's like, you know, he makes the comparison to Pompeii that he knows about this. This event in the future is as seismic if i can use the word as yeah. as pompeii is to us you know um right. and historical like and with historical the, like, yeah capital h historical yep and you know having extent, meaning and import, and to the yeah. extent that he knows all of their names he knows you know like these are 
heroes mm-hmm. who died, you know, and you yeah. Know, and and I yeah that I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about like that whole like the flashes of like the the videos of like the you know future version of Wikipedia or whatever we're seeing right, yeah um, that has the information there it's like I got the sense that this was like the doctor recalling it sort of identically you know what I mean like mm-hmm. he's like yeah. he has seen this screen before and knows because he's read it right. you know what it, what the text is that says there not. You know, like, it's not so much meant to be, like, we're looking at the screen as we're looking into the mind of the doctor as he's looking at the screen right. in the past or or had at some point looked at, you know, that information. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that could be. Uh, um, but and and then, of course, how that changes. Yeah. Laid, later in yeah. the episode when 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 he changes things and then um, Adelaide shoots herself. Um Mm. which I admit I did not pick up on the first time. Um, so we can talk about that maybe in, in a minute. Okay. Um, I I don't know if I just got distracted or whatever, but we'll, when we get to her character, we definitely, I'll mention that again, because okay. that also kind of threw me for a loop the second time <laughs> I watched it. I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Um, All right. Um, the, 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 so I think, I don't, uh, do you have anything else about the colony itself? Um no, no, I agree with you. I like the kind of uh, realism of it, you know, that it does feel something. And I think that's right for what they're going for, that they want this to feel like something which could happen in the future that could plausibly be history with a capital H, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they achieve that, you know, it really has that kind of, um, you know, believability to it, um, yeah. which makes it a little bit more impactful i think when it all goes to hell (laughs) sure like especially you know if i if i was this lady packing for mars i don't think i'd be wanting to watch this episode you know it's kind of a a chilling idea of what front space frontier travel could turn into you know i Mm. mean yeah well and especially you know because if there is life in you know on mars or or was at some point yeah. It's completely pos- plausible that there is a bacteria or yeah, like something a virus in the water. or something. Absolutely, in, yeah. And and right, that's an ice, and and that it's certainly not can live... adapted to humans. You know, or humans wouldn't be adapted to it. You know, it could be something totally yeah, foreign you, and dangerous. You you don't know, and and um, there is scientific theory about even life on Earth. Like you know, billions of years ago, or whenever life developed you know the 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 earth was not the most uh you know was not the nicest place in the universe per se you know getting hit with meteors and whatever and there's there are theories that life survived by um you know being ejected on rocks from earth and like sort of floated out in space until the earth cooled down from these impacts and then like went back and, you know, as this bacteria that had been living in space and freezing conditions or whatever after many years. So, you know, there is a possibility that there's life even still sort of in a cryogenic or whatever suspended state that you want to call it. Right. You know, in, in ice or whatever in Mars. And so our going there could very well wake it up. Um, Hopefully not to this effect, but, there is that possibility for no, sure. No, and, and it's definitely 
just the idea of how dangerous it is mm -hmm. to go out there um, mm -hmm. and to kind of push human experience this far. Um, um, I did want to yeah. mention really quick because you mentioned the kind of whatever it is being frozen in the ice. Um, the doctor speculates about, um, you know, that another race might have intentionally frozen it maybe. And that's in reference to this, uh, these ice warriors who are classic yeah. series monsters from Mars. So, you know, ah. even, even then the Martians were associated with water, you know, cause it's the ice warriors. Um, sure, and they were sure. kind of, reptilian green men from mars kind of what you'd expect um from the 60s sure. um so you know and it, so i just want to mention that that that's the fine and noble race who built an empire out of snow um so i like that now mars is always connected with water in in these episodes for some reason you know mm. um i guess just because of the speculation of there being water that's always a tempting thing to do when you yeah. do a mars episode so um yeah. You know, we don't meet those ice warriors in this episode, but they are mentioned and they're classic, so we have to kind of acknowledge them. Sure. And well, and I, and so, and that can lead right into the monsters because I, I do want to talk about them before we get into sort of the weightier topics with the doctor and Adelaide and, mm -hmm. and their, um, and basically the story that revolves between and around yeah. the two of them. Um, so, so yeah, so first of all, the monsters. Are not named. Um, no, similar the to midnight. Refers to them a couple times as the flood, and and in the kind of behind the scenes bits, that's what like hmm. Davies and his team seem to refer to them as is the flood. But but kind of like the midnight entity, that's just a convention. I agree with you. Like in the episode, we don't get a name. You know, we don't find out what they call themselves, or even if they're if there are many or if this is a single consciousness, you know, we don't get any sense of that. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting because I do now that you mentioned, it, I do remember him using the term the flood, but I didn't pick up on that being like a sort of proper name as a proper whatever. name. And I think it's only because he uses it a couple times that it became a proper mm. name, you know. Um, sure. Right. You need to refer to it as something. As something. So. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, cool. Interesting. Didn't didn't pick up on that. Um, and then, and yeah, you know. it's a singular noun, so that's kind of a little bit suggestive, too. Well. Well, is it? But you, well, it's a little. It, 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 no, you're right. There's a sense of flood, which is uncountable. So it's right. definitely a singular it's, thing. It's, but it's so many individual things as to be basically one singular thing. You know? Well, no, I mean, so the, it's the, the difference between, um, you know, a quantity and an amount, right? Uh, so yeah. a quantity is, is something that, that you can count and an amount is something you can't. And, and water typically is, you know, measured in amounts, you know, a cup or whatever, like you, you can't, a unit there's no un, unless you get to the molecular level there's right. no like unit of water it, you know you don't right. have a water <laughs> you know what i mean right you right. can have a bottle of water or you can have a cup of water or something like that but um yeah and and i think in that sense flood you're right it is a singular entity but then there's also sort of the i don't know if it's metonymy or or how what the exact linguistic you know, uses, but, but you do get a sense of it being a collective noun as well of, you know, a flood of people, mm, you know, yeah. which are individual entities, 
right. you know, overtaking something as well. So, so there, so yeah. again, it's ambiguous. There is sort of a sense that it could be either yeah. like maybe, maybe it is a number of minute organisms. And, and also I would, I guess, point out that it's the water pouring out of them. Isn't the monster, right? right? The monster is making the water. That's what the doctor says is, is that it, it doesn't just crave water. It makes water. Mm. Um, and not makes water like goes to the bathroom, but like, um, you know, it, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, the water pouring out of these people is clearly more water more than they than, physically have. Right. Then you could body. squeeze, yeah, yeah. then you could squeeze from a human where you yeah. squeeze one. Right. Um, right. It, you know, it, it generates water. You know? Right. Right. So it seems to be using the human body to somehow create more water than is capable of, you know, yeah. producing normally. Um, so it's interesting that the flood in that sense is more of a source rather than yeah. a thing, a thing which floods, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's the source of the flood. It's, it's not the actual event of flooding itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and flood to me, like also is just, such a great name because of the the disastrousness of it, the overwhelmingness, unstoppableness of it. You know that, and and I think uh, this episode does such a great job of you know feel of you know you with the characters just feeling so just increasingly overwhelmed by yeah. the monster. Um, right. And and I like too the doctor's uh, little bit about the patience of water that just by waiting look what it can do you know it over give it enough time and you get the grand canyon you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that kind of even if it's a slow death it's sort of an inevitable unstoppable thing um, inexorable so yeah. i like how it's not just oh you know water monsters they're cool but the wateriness of them is very distinct in how they operate you know that and and the sense of you know, what is terrifying about water. Um, yeah. No. And that's, that's great. You know, that brings up another Podcane of Mars reference too, because um, <laughs> Podcane is a, a young woman who grew up on Mars. And so um, they're not being much water there. You know, they don't, she's not used to oceans and things. And so mm -hmm. one of her anxieties about going to work, going to work, going to earth is about, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, I don't, that was a Freudian mix Freudian up if slip. I ever heard one, um, about her going to earth is how much water is there and and the idea that there are people who go into these oceans of water which like she's astounded that anyone would ever go into water that is higher you know that is deeper than she is tall kind right, of thing you know right. what i mean like just which is kind of silly but of course i i was a lifeguard for many years at summer camp so of course you know yeah. i had to teach kids how to swim and that sort of thing and 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 that's an actual fear of people who even grow up on earth yeah, but who maybe yeah live in inner cities and don't go to beaches or to pools and, and, you know, even see that amount of water. So that's, you know, very interesting. And, and, and there is a sort of, uh, I think innate sort of, you know, primeval, yeah. uh, fear of water in spades like that. Right. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that, that there is that idea that, you know, the flood is a terrifying thing. One of the oldest mythologies that is, you know, throughout, 
many different cultures is a deluge story, you yeah. know? Um, so, so definitely kind of hits all of those notes too. And I, I had that whole, you know, water is patient, water mm. just waits. It wears down the cliff tops, the mountains, the whole of the world. Water always wins. Mm. Um, and, and we need to talk about that when we get to the doctor too, because there's a parallel there, right? Mm. It's his, he becomes that inex- as inexorable as he's calling water. Right, right. At this I'm, point. I'm so gonna, I'm going to win. And not just I'm going to win, but I did win. Right. You know, I, I've always been thinking of myself as a survivor, but I'm a winner. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm the one who won the war. And now yeah. I'm the one who controls time. Um, and there's, you know, and so if water has the time to wait and wear down things, mm. you know, what what's the doctor? What does that make him? Right. If he's talking about being a winner, in a sense, parallel to how he talks about water in this in this sense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, the ancient North Martin, Martian, <laughs> um, man, I cannot talk North Martian, not North Martin. Um the the yeah we sort of talked about the you know being hidden in the ice fields and the, yeah. the um, other stuff so i you know the monster is the monster it is pretty like it's definitely one of the, the creepier monsters the makeup is pretty good yeah the makeup's they actually pretty had good. to pull it back a little bit i think I, there were some concerns about the the kids behind the couch but um it is one of the more the more yeah. effective bits of makeup i think well, and you just think about, so you get, I like that with the water sort of streaming out of their mm, mouths. You also yeah. get the idea of the parching and the cracked chat, yep. you know, effect. Yep. And so you, you think of like, you know, an Egyptian river Delta kind of thing where you mm. have that, you know, the hard packed sun baked land. Right. But, you know, you do have the river sort of going through too, that might be rolling over that or something. So like, you know, this, this, it's a very juxtaposed sort of yeah. imagery there. Right. That, that's kind right. of, Dry- that kind of makes it worse. Dryness and wetness kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, it's very, very creepy and, and, and well done, but yeah, I can see why, um, you know, it's it's one that maybe people might be a little more scared of than others. Mm. Um, and I and I think again, going back to the fact that there's no name, sort of adds to that. Yeah. You don't you don't know really what it is or what's causing it. The the water flowing out of the mouth and the arms or whatever is a symptom, not not right. the cause. Right. Um, so you're not quite sure how to take that. But yeah. we talked about sort of those two things longer than I thought we were gonna. Okay. We need, we we need, need to, to get start... to the juicy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think we wanted to start with Adelaide. And we'll be talking about her with sort of the doctor too. But yeah. like, um, I think I think there's maybe even a little more to talk about with the doctor. So we can sort <laughs> yeah. of use Adelaide as the starting point and then end yeah. up, you know, with other. Yeah. Um, the, the whole, uh, I like the opening because there's obviously the clear connection there with you know, the daughter and, and the granddaughter yeah. giving their message and, and, and her not quite being able to get it. And of course she doesn't yeah. know at that point that it's the last one. And I like sort of how they portray it as like, she's kind of irritated. Oh, just spit it out. You know, talk faster, you know, like, yeah. you yeah. know, like she's kind of getting irritated with this loving message that they're trying to send. But then yeah, how loving is it? Because they're also saying like, Oh, well, you know, about money, like we need money, <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. how are we gonna, <laughs> you know, do this? So like at the same time, it's, you know, 
it's kind of interesting because, you know, you have this ability to communicate with your loved ones, but it's also sort of routine and kind of, right. you know, you, you still, you, you know, even in a sort of exotic environment or whatever you, you know, you want to call Mars, there's still this sort of sense of mundanity about, talking about the, the whole same thing. old stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and like, and you get those things like every now and then you'll see like that, you know, I don't know, on Facebook or something, you'll see like, you know, oh, if this was the last day uh, that you were alive, you know, what would you say to your loved ones kind of thing? You know, like, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe uh, has a little tone to that, right? Like by the end of where, where are, you know, where are you going with this or whatever? Um, sorry, I, <laughs> I got distracted um, by something else. Uh <laughs> For anybody the, who can't see this, he's fiddling with the lizard cage at the moment. I am. So we fed, <laughs> sorry, totally off topic. We fed my lizard some ants tonight and one of them actually got out. So <laughs> I had to throw it back in there. Um, he enjoyed the ones he's eaten so far already. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so this this whole idea that like, you know, what, what would you say to your loved ones if you knew it was going to be your last day, you know, kind of thing. Right, and, right. And you just get this sense of like, it is kind of a nice thing that she's able to talk or at least get messages. I mean, you can't really talk real time because of the distance, but, but at least get messages from your loved ones, but that she's sort of getting irritated and they're kind of asking for, you know, money and stuff. And it's right, just like, right. like this whole kind of weird, you know, sort of domestic thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I don't think, even though she is kind of, you know, a little bit brisk, you know, telling her to talk faster, you still get the sense of a little bit of a smile and a little bit of the warmth before she goes sure. out and starts bossing the crew around. And you get kind of the contrast between how she feels about her family and and how she likes to present herself as the boss, you know. Um, like right, she's right. a tough leader and she's kind of, you know, one of these people who it's kind of a big old softie on the inside, but won't show that to the people under there. You know, she's the good military commander who keeps, you know, uh, private and professional very separate. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. too, and doesn't the daughter even make some comment about, um, like, uh, she's been gone for two years as if like, well, I'm used to it now. Like she's almost taken for granted the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's not even that big a deal anymore because it's been so long. Um, mm. So you do get a sense of that kind of mundanity of this is just life and they're used to it. And it's not even that exotic or exciting anymore necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I just, I, I, I guess I sort of like that. And, and especially when, but then you get, you know, the idea that this is also, the thing that inspires her granddaughter. Yeah. Right. And not, and not even speculatively, not like, like she's not even necessarily doing it, you know, to inspire her granddaughter. Right. 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 You, you know, like there's, right. She has no like, idea that this is going to be the consequence of her doing this. Right. She's doing right. it for herself. Yeah. Right. Well, and she's doing it for herself and yeah. And, and or, or for her family for, more broadly, but not for the, you, well, you, and I think we get, with with the explanation of about the Dalek and stuff and her desire to yeah. go in space and follow it. Like I I think it very much is 
in in large part, I mean, not a hundred percent. You know, there, people always have more complex reasons than we want to sort yeah. of attribute to them. So I don't. I wouldn't want to say she's only doing it for herself. I don't think it's sort of selfish in the the normally understood right. term. But I think there's the reason why people are inspired are by default selfless, yeah. selfish. I yeah. mean, they're they're like it's inspir- like it's it's inspirational to yourself. Like that's, that's what's inspirational. Like it's not, you can't be inspired by something that inspires someone else. You can only be inspired by things that are, that inspire you. So by very definition, it's self-focused. Well, and, and the doctor says, and the doctor kind of says, so even though she has a daughter and a granddaughter, so presumably there was a husband or a boyfriend at one point, you know, um, Mm -hmm. The doctor says, you know, you, they say you sacrificed everything, devoted your whole life to get here. So even though she does have this family, you still get the sense of there's always been this drive that this thing she had to do and, and her, you know, her own will and inspiration or what sort of powered them there. Um, you know, yeah. which yeah. is not to say she completely abandoned her family, but it seems like to fly to Mars at 60 years old and <laughs> leave the daughter behind with her money troubles, you have to have a certain amount of, you know, emphasis on your own dreams to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's really interesting. I'm going to go right back to that uh, Penn Sunday School podcast because the woman who is looking to go to Mars, who who's, you know, who Penn interviews on that podcast, um, is youngish. I, I can't remember, like maybe late 20s, early 30s. And, you know, in, 10 years she'll be in her late 30s early 40s you know going to mars but the intent is for it to be a one-way trip yeah and she is married and her husband applied and was not accepted he did not make it past the first round and 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 you know she talks about the fact that they've discussed it and this is something she's always wanted to do and he says if it's something you want to do then you have to go do it and so their sort of plan is if she you know uh uh if she gets accepted uh, and, and, you know, makes the final cut and all that, that on the last day before she leaves, they're going to get divorced. And that and not maliciously, not, you know, mm. antagonistically, but just out of realities of the situation that yeah. that's, you know, something that you have to do. He and it's not that they don't continue his life. Yeah. Well, and she, too, you know, who knows yeah, what well, other sure. members yeah, yeah. on on the crew. Well, that's I mean, the true. Fact, you yeah, know, yeah. practically speaking, though, they'll they'll never be able to have the sort of married life that typical people have and and you know it's and in a way that they're you know almost shows more love that you're willing to give up that other Mm -hmm. person for the thing that they want to do um right and 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 not to say that that's easier that's anything but it's a practical reality and so i think that very much plays into sort of what adelaide is yeah you know what what you're talking about with her is is that she did make all these sacrifices and part of that sacrifice is not you know, how how would you like to be told that the way you inspire someone is by dying, by mm-hmm. not being around? You know, typically when you think of being an inspiration to someone, it's because they taught you or they, you know, um, did something really interesting that you got to witness or whatever. But yeah. the granddaughter is an infant. Anything, she won't remember anything, you know, about Adelaide, especially knowing that she's going to die on this day when we just saw this message you know, of the granddaughter as an infant. Yeah. Nothing that Adelaide ever does can directly influence. It's through her death 
and the actions that occurred before her death mm-hmm. that become that inspiration. And that, in a way, that's a really sad sort of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just sure. like, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm not explaining it quite as well as I hoped I could. But right. Just just that idea that it's it's by your not being around that you're inspirational. Right. It just seems a well, very And not to jump too much ahead to the doctor stuff, but that's part well, of that's part of I'm gonna do it because Yeah. That's <laughs> And we probably need to anyway. <laughs> we probably need to because that's part of his point is Yeah. Why why do you have to die to inspire her? That's stupid. You know, great if you did die and you inspired her. That's fantastic. We don't want to negate that. But wouldn't it be better to do it in person? You know, why does it have to be a mutually exclusive thing? Can't you live and still inspire her? And in fact, maybe that's even more inspirational. Um, You know, and I think... That's a point. You know, he's got kind of a point there. And I think, you know, the doctor's position in this episode is so ambiguous. You know, like, Mm. pretty much everything he does is, like, both him at his most monstrous and coming from, you know, some of the most sympathetic and noble positions that he Mm. comes from as well. Um, so like there's certain, even as you know, you know, he's completely, uh, going off the rails, even stuff like that, you have to say, well, he's kind of got a point there, you know, and that's not necessarily his actions might be suspect, but that motivation isn't necessarily a bad one. Um, no, I think you're right. I mean, that definitely comes into it is, is why why do you have to be dead to be an inspiration? I think that's hundred percent true that that's what he's saying. But then, then there is the question of, is what he's saying accurate? Yeah. Like that's what he says, but is what he says actually true? Well, so, exactly. And, and that's where the ambiguity at the end. And, and so let's talk about her suicide because I mentioned, I didn't, um, pick up on that the first mm-hmm. time. I don't know why I didn't, I did not, I totally missed the scene. Maybe I looked away, got distracted or something. I totally missed the flash of her pulling out her gun as she walked inside. So when. So so between your first watch and your second watch, when you realized what happened, what was your read of the end of the episode? Well, I thought it was more ambiguous. I knew something that happened and I suspected that she had. Well, I I knew that she died, but I didn't see on this like cuz oh, it was quick yeah. it was quick screenshot, so I didn't like I saw the change from she died on right. from on Mars to, to she Earth. died on Earth. Right, but that I could have been years later or something. I did not I did not see um then the larger one where it says like, you know, the two people reveal yeah yeah uh me and roman is it who reveal you know what truly happened but then like within the text it says you know something about adelaide's suicide Mm. and and but i didn't i didn't have time to read that that fast so i didn't pick up on that yeah yeah so i i didn't see her pull out the gun but i saw the blue flash and i saw the doctors horrified like oh my gosh and then you know she died on earth and blah 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 so i thought it was like a time corrective thing. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. like, so like I thought, you know, you, you get the doctor talking about fixed points and, and things that can't be changed. Right. And so I thought that my, my sort of thought process was, oh, like clearly she died because I saw that part that changed right, where right. she died on earth. But but we don't see why she died. And I thought like the blue flash or whatever was was like, a, a, you know, time correcting itself. And got so it, she just sort it. of fell dead because she had to die at right, that point right. because it was a fixed point. Right. Um, Interestingly, that's not what happens. <laughs> no. And I... And so when I saw the second time, I'm like, wait a minute, she pulled out her gun. That yeah. means she did. And so when, when it got to those last final captions, I actually paused and read, you know, the stuff. And I'm like, oh, suicide. Right. It like says right there that she was suicide yeah, yeah. And, and stuff. So then, so that then, I, I mean, it's pretty clear once you read that and see what's, what's the what. Yeah. That, that she's, you know, um, you know, that she is dead by her own hand. And so the question becomes, but still, I don't know quite how to read that because the question is, is that still in a way time correcting itself? You well, know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. And, 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 but, you know, rather than sort of a, a fantastical or scientific or quantum, whatever happening, is it, you know, sort of through her own realization because she's, she gives that whole speech of, you're you're not right like this this is this is not the right way to act i don't care who you are you know she says um the doctor you know uh talking about when when adelaide sort of expresses that she's worried now that her daughter won't be inspired at least in the same way yeah the doctor says different different details but the story is the same and adelaide says you can't know that Mm. if my family changes then the whole of history could change which is literally true because they're the ones, you know, the doctor's already said they're the ones who go out. So if they're no longer the first ones to lead these missions, right. History does change. History has to change. Right. The decisions that get made are going to change. The, the little minute shifts in direction are going to have huge ripples later on. Yeah. Um, you know, future of the human race, no one should have that much power. And then the doctor's, Oh, his response is tough. Tough, yeah. Just tough. And whoa, dude, what has happened to you? <laughs> like this is this is really crazy. So I don't know. I'm not 100 percent convinced that it's not in a way sort of time correcting itself. Right, right. But 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 in maybe a slightly different me- like it's not. And um, it's one of those things of where does where it's one of those free will fate dichotomies where in a very in a very Tolkien-esque way they seem to be a little bit indistinguishable you know like you can't take away you know the whole point of that ending is Adelaide's choice that she takes that decision away from the doctor and says you think you can tell me what to do you think you can make these decisions and you can't. You're not but in you control don't. of everything, yeah. and I'm going to yeah. show you. Um, Absolutely. But, but then there is that also that that same sense of he is beaten by time at the end anyway. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't fully win. Um, right. And I think too the toughest part. I mean, like there's just the kind of okay. So now she doesn't die heroically 
as this kind of Martian pioneer martyr. Now she dies kind of senselessly, sadly, sadly um, yeah. in her house, you know, as, as clearly as a suicide, you know, um, and the kind of, uh, you know, yeah, just kind of sadness as opposed to the sort of epic heroism of the other. But also yeah. now that's directly, you know, the doctor's directly responsible for that, you know, whereas mm -hmm. if she, he can't save everybody, but that doesn't mean it's his fault if they die. You know, here, this is kind of his fault. <laughs> you know, there's that sense of, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. if you, if you just left her or if you tried to save her and failed, you know, those are both, you know, in some sense out of your control. Whereas here, you know, there's more blame, you know, mm. this is like a judgment being laid directly on top of him, I think. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And, and right, because it is in direct response to his action um, and even his well-intentioned action. Yeah. No, and goes... that's really what I, you know, a lot of what I'd like to talk about with the doctor is just the tension between how I, you know, you think about like the anti-hero turns evil stories, you know, and they're so easy to get really wrong, you know, like it's one thing to say that, you know, this character used to be good a long time ago and then, you know, they became evil over time, whatever. But like, if you actually try to show that, it always ends up really black and white. And I'm yeah. not saying the doctor is evil now or anything, but you get this really, really, I think, like, over the course of a couple seasons, subtle shift of you understand where he's coming from, you know? There's this really interesting tension between, on the one hand, totally understanding why this is wrong and bad and terrible, and he's completely arrogant and terrifying and monstrous and all these things but you also completely understand where he's coming from through through most of the episode you know yeah. you like you understand that he just is sick of people dying he just wants to save them he's tired of having you know you know things out of his control i guess and seeing yeah. good people suffer for no reason yeah. um well, and, and it's interesting. So I just want to real quick before we get too much into the doctor, I want to I want to wrap up Adelaide because just the final thing, right, is we do see that Susie Fontana Brooke goes and does the light speed ship. So like in the end, things are all OK, right? Like, well, well, they're not I guess okay. so. I mean, it doesn't. I, we don't ever get a detailed comparison of how the timeline may have shifted. I mean, the other two are still alive, you know, but, but you yeah, do get yeah. that sense of. Well, but what I was going to say, fundamentally, the, what I was going to say is that that actually supports what the doctor says when he talks about right. different details, but the story is the same. Right. So, but then again, like, is, is he, completely right because he was talking about different details meaning that adelaide would be alive right that's the detail that different right but the details that are different are like you say that there's two other people who right survive and 
and Adelaide dies, but not quite in the same way, in a more sort of pathetic and right. desperate way than than well, she would you, have. There is that part of you that wants to say, as much as you understand why she is making a point and why, you know, there's a kind of self-sacrifice to the death and that she's kind of showing him his place and there's there's the good of that, but also did she really need to do it? That's part of it. It's like, well, and, there's and, a, and there's again, a it's senselessness ambiguous. to it. You know, the, a needlessness. You just escaped something you should never have been able to escape. And really, you have to shoot yourself on the rug. Like, you know, I think there is, it, it's all that ambiguity of right and wrong are very mixed up <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is you don't know. You don't know if she had lived maybe it would have affected things in the way that she talks about. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, her daughter, you know, would have grown up, you know, over the next 20, 30, whatever years. Yeah. Or her granddaughter. I mean, um, and, and who knows how she might've been, she might've still inspired her granddaughter and, and that, but that's 30 years. The inspiration could be completely different. You could still, you know, she still could have, been great inspiring grandma but to something other than space travel yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. like like there is a valid concern on her part but at the same time you're right like you don't you you want to believe that not committing suicide <laughs> is the right answer right. you know what i mean like right. like that that the doctor may be onto something and and it's just that it's that the being right and not right at the same time it's it's like Sch- schrodinger's you know right yeah theorem or some i don't know what the right thing would be for that you know but but yeah it's 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 simultaneously right and not right and you don't know until it happens what actually is the correct answer yeah. and even when to, it's to over we're not really sure you know right well that i mean what ha- by saying until it happens like i mean like even way down oh like yeah, until yeah, yeah. the future right, right you know what happens in the future um yeah. Because you just can't know at that moment yeah. um, in particular. So anyway, um, I just wanted to point that out. The other thing I wanted to point out just with respect to Adelaide is that that whole, you know, um, assuming that she's right in the respect that there's a very similar result that happens of her granddaughter being inspired by her and going on. Assuming that 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 at least is a correct a result that continued to happen mm. whether it would have happened anyway or not there's a sort of peat flavor to it right mm. um from father's day of his realization that the only way you're going to correct things is mm. to go out and do and and even donna later in turn left yeah. uh that that there's this there's this need to sacrifice yourself in order to make things Right, with the world. Um, well, and I, I, I would connect this to the with the kind of long-running theme of everything has its time. You know, everything sure. dies. Sure. And and there being a sense of... Never of, say never, ever. Well, yeah. and just a sense of there's a right time. And that's not to promote that suicide is a good thing. Just that there is a sense of death is part of life. And... Mm. And if in, if you include that in a show which includes time travel, then messing with that can get a little sticky. Yeah, you know. Well, and and I do want to point out too that the original way she died was suicide. Sure, sure. 
the you know exploding a nuclear weapon on yourself is just as much suicide, suicide right as as uh in a way it's kind of murder suicide at the same time right you know as as sui- so it in one sense this is even a little better than than the i mean you know i'm i'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek with a very dark subject here of course but yeah. the the you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that, like, that originally... And I um, think... Sorry, sorry, I was having lizard troubles. I just can't help but note that the that your cat is whapping you in the face with her tail. Yeah, and so, if people um, hear her uh, begging to get it at the door, you know, my apologies. We're having um, animal troubles this week. Yeah, it, it's a weird... It's like... Yeah, anyway. Um, um, yeah, she's crawling all over the place. Um <laughs> No, and I think I this think you episode, get this episode is going downhill very. Quickly. It really is. Um, um, I think the, like it definitely. You're right. Like there isn't a huge difference in when you boil it right down. You know, blowing yourself up on Mars and shooting yourself on Earth aren't fundamentally that different. But I think what is lost is some of the kind of self-sacrifice of the one yeah. you know oh the, yeah the, definitely and like i'm not saying that's you weren't saying that but like you know the kind of i'm taking i'm down with the ship and and saving earth is right. different right. than i'm gonna just off myself in my living room to prove a point you and, know yeah and, sort and of spitefully it's, not, it's yeah. not wholly one or the other they bleed into each other but there's a there's a sense of loss of stature there which mm. is you know, mm-hmm. like you said, kind of pathetic. Yeah, a, um, a, a sort of moral rectitude that gets yeah. jettisoned. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I think I think that's absolutely right, and, and a good point. Um, so we have three minutes to talk about the doctor. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, this is a problem. <laughs> no, I mean we've been talking about him somewhat. Yeah. Um, all along, and I think we can skip, you know, some of the early stuff. You know, oh, what's that device? A screwdriver. Yeah. Don't. Okay. I'm main, I'm maintenance man of the universe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but to get sort of to the the ending, well, the the major points. Um, definitely want to talk about his his sort of theory of fixed points in time because mm. we we've heard that before, right? We've heard about the, um, you know, we've heard about it with Pompeii. We heard about yeah. Jack being a fixed yeah. point in time as as a person he's a fixed point in time and that's wrong yeah. um and so there's there's sort of which is interesting because he's he's calling jack wrong for being that fixed point in time but then there's fixed point so does that mean all fixed points in time are wrong or just there's something particular so that's to him? where this is just my own little you know fan continuity in my head i don't know that this is provable or anything but that's where to me the fact that Jack is a person comes into play as opposed to a point in history, you know? Okay. Um, that's how I would read it is people aren't meant to be fixed and eternal. People are meant to live and die that that's to have part their of time. Yeah, they're yeah. supposed to have their time. Whereas, whereas, you know, Pompeii as a formative event in earth's history is something slightly different. And mm. it's, and it's the kind of degree to which people know it, which seems to make it, you know, like that because this is a thing which everyone knows and is a part of our collective, you mm-hmm. know, that yeah. kind of significant points in history seem to be what fixed points are sort of made of. Well, and that goes back to your your point about um, 
you know, free will versus predestination, because if you're fixed, that implies, right, a sort of rigid predestined kind of yeah. thing right like well, it, ha- get, it has get, to happen that way well and we get jack repeatedly killing himself and being killed and and brought back so his free will seems to be sort of limited <laughs> well know? well uh, yeah but i was gonna say in a way though it also gives him more free will because now he can do things that he totally couldn't do before like jump in front of a bullet and know he's going to be okay in That's five true. minutes That's true. you know what i mean so like so but that doesn't deny your point like yeah like he like there are times where he's trying to die and wants to die and he can't so so you're right it's there's things that he can't do too so it's yeah. there's still this ambiguity to it and and maybe that's what you're talking about there but i didn't mean to talk about jack so much per se just in this idea that that we have heard about these sort of fixed times yeah. and and especially with pompeii where he talks about being the cause when he thought he was solving the problem. And right? I think that's um, a big key to this episode because, you know, it could get kind of terrible to have the doctor so reluctant to tell them anything, so reluctant to help them walking mm-hmm. away when they're all, you know, mm-hmm. it's so agonizing oh walking away and having them dying in his ear. He wants to help, but he's terrified that if he does, he's going to, cause you know he's gonna do the predestination paradox thing of of you know it has to happen that way because i made it happen and i just don't know it yet and if i Mm. step in and interfere you know and of course that's the irony of the end is that's exactly what happens (laughs) is the thing he's terrified of is being responsible for adelaide's death and that's kind of how it works out um but for slightly different reasons i guess Um, right right and he still changes things but doesn't change things right ultimately in the in a big sense right right Um, so yeah whereas maybe if he had just given in and saved them he could have changed time and gotten away with it because it seems like he was able to do that um to a certain extent you know yeah well and i i think it's i so there's a couple other interesting things too about his his ideas here one he talks about it as an idea as a theory you know he talks about it as something that is something that he sort of came up with and so you don't know i guess i don't know at this point if it's you know just like this isn't something that like the time lords Mm -hmm. told him it seems like right um, that it just seems like it's something that he's observed in his 900 years of wandering, you know, that, that there are these moments, these tiny precious moments he talks about. And, and that's another thing is why is he calling it precious? You know, is it, um, precious because it needs to be preserved or is it precious because it's something that we, we need to, or that we should want to observe, you know what I mean? Like, like, there's multiple sorts of uses of the word precious that could apply there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but, but uh, you know, everything else is in flux. Anything can happen, but these certain moments, they have to stand. And it's interesting because he seems to know, or he seems to be able to recognize at least when those moments are coming, but he doesn't know yeah. the, the particulars of them. Um, like you said, like he doesn't know if he's going to cause it or if he needs to walk away so it can happen. Right. Um, so very, very interesting. And again, sort of ambiguous because 
even though he is a time lord, it does sort of show that he doesn't know everything and he he still has to, you know, kind of be aware yeah. of of how things are happening. Um and on the time lordliness of him. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not just a time lord, I'm the last of the time lords. They'll they'll never come back. Not now. I've got a TARDIS. Same old life, last of the Time Lords, and they died and took it all with them. The walls of reality closed. The worlds were sealed, gone forever. Time Lords kept their eye on everything. It's gone now, but they died. The Time Lords, all of them, they died. I'm the last of the... Like, just that repetitiveness yeah. of... of last you know, of the Time Lords, yeah. I'm the last of the Time, last of the Time Lords, last of the Time Lords. Right, and, and the first time I watched it, it's kind of like, okay, I get that he's having a revelation, but I'm not sure what it is yet. <laughs> like, what is it about right. this repeated? Something is clicking, you know, and it doesn't, it's not until he gets going that I really caught on to what exactly it was that had occurred to him. Um, yeah. Well, and it's, so it's that, and we don't, we don't necessarily get the payoff until later, right? Because right. it's when he talks about once upon a time, there were people in charge of the laws of time, but they all died. Do you know who that leaves? Me. It's taken me these years to realize that the laws of time are mine and they will obey me, mm. which is really disturbing. It's really disturbing, yeah. <laughs> well, um, and, and apparently saying, telling people to obey him was something of a master catchphrase back in the classic okay. days. So I okay. think you're supposed to hear an echo of the master in that, that, that you will obey me, that, that he's putting himself as master of the universe in a way um yeah huh he man so um <laughs> yeah, no but and, and again it's that that's interesting i didn't i didn't pick up on that but that's well and and yeah. why would you but you know if for fans of well, the sure. people who had watched the classic show i think i mean you get it without that but it's just another layer of this is not good um mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of Adelaide's point. And that seems to be the big moral failing here, because I don't think the doctor's moral failing is trying to save the people. You know, I don't know that that the story's point is he should have walked away and left them. You know, the point is this is the problem. It's this time is what I say it is because Mm -hmm. I'm the only one left. And if I don't like it, I'm going to change it. You know, and you get that sense of what else is he willing to change to suit his own personal preference? You know, like, is this the is this the standard operating procedure now that anything the doctor doesn't like is now going to be sort of reshaped to his, you know, and maybe he likes it or maybe he dislikes it for perfectly legitimate reasons, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that doesn't negate the fact that like Adelaide says, nobody should have that much power. That's playing, yeah. that's playing God, you know? Right. Well, and, and way back in series one, we, we got with, you know, the long game and then, you know, the, the final couple episodes where mm-hmm. it was the doctor who caused, uh, you know, the Daleks to sort of be able to come back. Right. right. It, it Like, yes, he, he sort of fixed things with, the evil editor thing and, and Simon Pegg, (laughs) but, but he, you know, he sort of created that opening for the Daleks then to come, you know, make, make things and imprison people and make new Daleks and whatever out of people. Similarly with the master, 
you know, Master says, if I told you what was really going on, it would break your heart. Mm. The doctor helped save all these people. Right. And they came back as these troclophane that, that were, you know, subverted into the, you know, or the, the people were subverted into the troclophane and, 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 you know, just, it, it, it does break your heart. So it's very sad what happens to them. So it's not the first time where we've seen the doctor sort of, but, but it's there the first is, time he's done it with intent, you know? Well, and that was, that was where I was going to go. And that's that, the monstrousness yeah. is, is of course, if you go outside, you're going to, you know, break blades of grass, you're going to have ripple effects. But this right. is the only time of him saying, I know that and I don't care. And I'm doing it anyway. Um, I, I'm, I'm Time Lord Victorious. I'm Time Lord yeah. Victorious. I, yeah. They're all gone. I'm the only one left. I'm in charge. Um, yeah. Well, and and absolutely, yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And and so you get the. Um, what, uh, sorry, I was going to go somewhere with that. The the he realizes that at the end after yeah. he realizes what. Adelaide does. He says, I've gone too far or something like that. Right. I don't remember yeah. the exact words. Um, but yeah, it's that, it's that moment of decision. And I, I wanted to bring up that moment of decision because it's a long time coming. Mm. I sort of equated cause he stops and listens like, and watches, yeah. you know, the people yeah. as they're, flooding is happening and as the base is getting ripped apart or whatever and he knows that they're gonna die yeah um and it's a really long time that he's standing yeah. there watching yeah and i equated that with the long pull away scene after river dies mm. um that it's meant to be uncomfortable that you're hearing yeah these shouts and screams of people and and knowing that they're going to die and that the doctor is walking away. And, and, and the funny thing is as the viewer, you almost have like, I, th I think the point of that, if there, you know, insofar as there is a point, I think that the point of that is to get us to say, no, 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 don't walk away. Yeah, go go back, back, save yeah. them. So we're rooting for the doctor. Right. In that moment, yeah. I, I think that's what we're meant to be doing. Sure, we yeah. are rooting for the doctor to ignore everything that he said about, you know, there being a fixed point in time. That we want him to go back and save those people. That he can't just walk away. That's, that's, not, that's, what, that's the wrong not what the thing. doctor does. That's yeah. not what the doctor does. The yeah. doctor saves people. The doctor fixes things. Literally, that's what a doctor does. You know, he, he makes you better. He puts you in a better yeah. position, in a better place. And so there's a sort of, you know, audience, yeah. viewer, uh, observer no, and that's culpability totally, in um, that. That's totally what I'm getting at with this ambiguity thing. Because as much as it's, by the time he steps out of the TARDIS, as much as you realize, you know, this is, like, you know, him at his sort of most cocky, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you clearly can see this is not going to be good. I think you still are totally sympathetic and even rooting for him for the majority mm -hmm. of what he's doing. You know, that yeah. like we as the audience are on his side for the most part, um, you know, and it's not really 
kind of till towards the end, at the very end, that you get the sense of why this could potentially be a bad thing. Right. Um, right. Right. And I think yeah. part of it, too, um, I want to bring this up, too, because we've had this. Uh, I, I want to bring up the, the, the regeneration tease, um, because I think that plays a part of it, too. Um, there's the, the reference to. OK, so he says someone told me just recently they said I was going to die. They said mm -hmm. he will knock four times. And I think I know what that means. And it doesn't mean right here, right now, because I don't hear anyone knocking. Do you? And then, of course, Andy <laughs> knocks on the door. Three knocks. And you yeah, get yeah. And he, that terrified look of, holy crap. And then three knocks is all you're getting. But right. um, I, I want to bring that up, too, because I think that's so not just the frustration with rules and time and fixed points. And and there's also I want to bring up, too, the fact that, you know, Donna's been saying for as long as we can remember that you should have a companion you need someone to stop you and then he refuses christina right. and what happens he doesn't have a companion to stop him so you know there's the payoff for that um but um i also kind of want to bring up the the kind of creeping regeneration too because um david tennant said something really good in one of the interviews that uh he kind of sees from where the doctor's coming from his own sense of inevitable fate and mortality and and mm. like the way he puts it is there's the last jerk of a dying man in there that you get the sense that maybe if he could change this then his own fate wouldn't be inevitable either you right. know or right. if, if if it's all about changing fate and changing time and fixed points you know maybe that's one of the things he'd like to change is you know maybe yeah. maybe maybe I don't have to die. Maybe I don't have to regenerate, you know, if, if, if I can, if I'm in charge and I'm the boss, then mm. whatever I say goes and that's in there too. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think no. you get all of those, like the, the loss of the companions, the sadness of losing people, the sense of impending doom, all of that kind of goes together to see kind of making him really sympathetic, I think, even as he's being completely, you know, out of control with his own power, you still have to kind of understand why um, and feel for him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and of course he's thinking about all of that, his death and stuff, or what he sees as his forthcoming death because they haven't actually said that right until now. Like it's only been your song is ending sort of, sure. you, you know, a uh, 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 metaphorical illusion, which we mm -hmm. can rightly take as meaning. Right. That, Although the doctors, the doctor here says they said I was going right. to die. So he I, takes it that way. I, and that's what I was going to say is until this episode, like right, we've been right. taking that as sort of metaphorical to yeah. mean that probably he means death. But, but that he, you know, is going uh, uh, here now thinking about it as being his death. Um, and he even talks about, you know, again, he, he says, I've gone too far. Is this it? Um, you know, and, and he says, my death, is it time? You know, so he's talking about uh, death um, to this Ood who right. appears to him. Right, um, right. Which 
I assume is just sort of a vision, but I don't know. Like it, like, is this like, you know, a Rose thing, like where we saw Rose sort of appearing, you know, and whatever is like, is the Ood really there? Mm. Is it not, you know what? And, and I, we may not know, but, um, yeah, you know. put a, put a pin in that. So, yeah. Cause the Ood doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks at him no. and then disappears. It's this and... very kind of cold, again, very judgmental. Um, not, and not in it, like, but like, I, I mean that kind of like literally like he's there to judge in a way like, you know, it, it's kind of in the moment of realizing what he's done. Yeah. There's this ood, you know, right. sort of. Hovering. Insofar as insofar as you can read an ood's expression. Right. It's, he it's seems looking to at be him very judgmentally. Little, yeah. Um, and I love mm. the way he looks kind of scared when he goes back in the TARDIS that he kind of looks over his shoulder at Adelaide's house and kind of hurriedly jumps inside and shuts the door really fast. Like she might come out like she's like almost like a ghost might come after him or something. Like there's that sense of let me get inside really quick because you know, that kind of terror, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, there's, there's a great, I mean, Tennant does a really good job of expressing that fear and anxiety and, and, um, you know, awe, I guess, sort of at what happened, like awe in a bad way of what happens. Um, you know, so. No. And I think too, like, because even though he does kind of become very, you know, time Lord victorious, you know, but it's still the doctor, right? He's still not mm-hmm. a bad person, you know? And so it doesn't take much to pull him back, you know? Like, yeah. you could see the potential for this going very far down the road, but he's not that far down the road, you know? Right. As soon especially, as, you know... Especially in his realization of, yeah. I've gone too far, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's not... You know, I kind of like, too, that they... they I like that Davies is very willing to take the character somewhere sort of dangerous and uncomfortable, but not to the extent of making the character unrecognizable or getting carried away with exploring the dark side. You know, it's still doctorish. He's still good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is the big mistake. It seemed, I mean, hopefully the only one, right. <laughs> um, but it's, it is definitely a big mistake that he makes. So. Yeah. Um, although we will. Although oh, sorry, I but. well, I do want to say one more kind of point of ambiguity. It does end with him sort of that moment of staring at his console, just sort of thinking, and then no, and then he flies away, and you're not yeah. quite sure what that no refers to. You know, it's I, kind of a defiant no. Um, but who is, I took you it. Know, because before that, he goes, like, before he goes in the TARDIS, he's talking to the Ood. Mm. And he says, you know, again, I've gone too far. Is this it? My death? Is it time? Mm. And then the Ood disappears. He gets up, goes in. And so it's it's a little, In reference you know, to that conversation. It, yeah, it's a little, you know, distanced from it. But, but that's what I took that to mean, that no, it's not. It's not his death. It's not his time. Right. Although it could be soon it's not yet right right or again you know that the same kind of fear 
that like is leading him to make these sort of desperate mistakes. Um, that's a, you know, I also kind of read that as, is it time? And you kind of get the impression that it maybe might be time, but then no, I'm, you know, like, like there's a kind of petulance to that. Um, yeah. So, but that's, we'll, we'll pick up that conversation next week, I think. Yeah. Okay. Now that we're well, grievously over time. We are, yeah. We got to get past these specials. <laughs> I know, right? Well, and that's part of it is they are longer. They're longer and, and, and they're big and important and everything. Right. They're I mean, they're weightier. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, well, well, let's talk about something that <sighs> we right. should breeze right through. Yes. The first the first episode of a new series. <laughs> you know, to go from something slightly important to something that doesn't matter at all. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. Um, so. Um, oh, uh, sorry. Oh, wait a not minute. to not to extend the conversation, but you did have some I production notes. I did have production notes. notes. I just I forgot. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get there really quick. Sure. Oh goodness. Okay. Really quick. So, co-written by Russell Davies and Phil Ford. Um, so Phil Ford was a writer on the Sarah Jane Adventures. This was his only Doctor Who episode until recently. He uh, has written an episode for Series Eight, so we're oh, okay. eagerly awaiting to see what that will be like. Um, especially because I really like this episode, so I'm interested to see what his next thing is. Um, mm. This won the Hugo that year. Um, so Russell Davies, after many nominations, gets a win, and I think a deserved one. Um, it also won a BAFTA Krumru for Best Design, um, which to me makes sense with the water monsters and everything, um, and Best Male uh, Performance Constellation Award for Tenant. Um, it's in the new Doctor Who poll, which recently came out, it's number 43 out of 241. So it's sort of comfortably in the top 20%, you know, a, a solid sort of classic episode. Um, and uh, and we also kind of mentioned this too. It's the first special not tied to a particular holiday, um, although it's pretty close to Halloween. So I like to think of this, it's a spooky kind of chilled episode okay. so i kind of like to think of this as a halloween episode but it was a november broadcast um sure so when we come back next week um we'll be for christmas again so there we go we've yeah we've traveled a whole year in three episodes <laughs> <laughs> very cool um all right well now i guess on to angel yes and uh, so we gave a little introduction and sort of had that, um, you, you know, the preview. But uh, I think you wanted to start talking about like the tone and some of the maybe production or, or yeah, maybe production isn't the right word, but sort of ju just the overarching yeah, like themes. points that don't have to do with the story and the characters mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So just for fun, I was on one of my favorite websites, which is TV Tropes, and um, and you can like lose a whole week there, but um. Sure. I, I was looking up film noir because I wanted to see... I think see... losing a whole week there is one of the tropes, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, it, TV <laughs> tropes will ruin your life is a trope. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I was looking up film noir to see uh, mm. what what kind of things I... And you could go on forever, you know, and I don't want to spend every single episode, you know, ticking off the boxes of what tropes are being used or whatever. But the main picture had a caption, which I thought was perfect. It said, private detective, 
check. Femme fatale, check. Chiaroscuro lighting, check. This is film noir. And I just felt like that perfectly sums up the aesthetic that they're going through um, for this series. You know, you get the kind of loner, hard-boiled detective in Angel. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get Tina's sort of the femme fatale, I guess. She's the sort of uh, dame who's in trouble, you know, with a, with a secret, a dangerous secret that, he, mm. you know, that he, she's kind of the client of the episode, even though he's officially not a detective yet, but she kind of serves that purpose. Um, yeah. Later, Cordy will kind of seem to slot into that. You know, she's sort of the hot office assistant, you know, and I'm sure she'll kind right. of fulfill that role. Um, the the chiaroscuro lighting, you know, because the main character is a vampire, most of the scenes have to take place at night or at least in a heavily yeah. curtained room. So yeah. you get this very dramatic dark you know, lighting effect and everything. And, and that in particular, the lighting um, on the commentary just talks again and again and again about, um, <laughs> and I can't, I did, you know what? I didn't write it down. I forget um, who actually was the, you know, the cinematographer who, who worked on that. But like that scene, especially where angel walks out of the darkness, um, mm. in, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, when they're kind of in the upper part of the house there yeah, and, yeah. And, and the, and the hallway is totally obscured in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the, but the room itself is white and, and Joss just talking about how difficult it was to sort of, um, film that and, and the idea that, yeah, they would start filming at like five in the evening, you know, and film like all night, like, you know, to use the sort of natural darkness and right, stuff. Right. Right. Um, yeah, versus, like everything you know, a lot has of times to be night when, shoots. Um, Everything yeah, has right. to be Ver like night shoots to to make the the story work, basically. Yeah, and and so that um, right. Otherwise, you're using like filters and stuff, and it doesn't quite look right and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Which is the, which is a change from Buffy because I think you know you think of Buffy as in the graveyard at night. You get plenty of night scenes, but you also get the high school scenes. You know, you get Sunnydale. You know, with right. its very appropriate name. You know, you get right. more of a sense of brightness, you know, from Buffy. Right. Whereas this is very much more in the shadows and dark yeah. and, and you know. And that well, fits. I'm... I mean, obviously, that's how it has to be for Angel's character. But it fits with the whole noir aesthetic, too. Yeah. Um, no, I, absolutely. And, and it's darker in tone in many ways right yeah. it's darker yeah. visually but also darker thematically and yeah. we even get from doyle you know you're not in high school anymore which right, of right. course is silly to say to angel who's 200 and some years right, old right. but yeah but you you do sort of get that explicit like this is not this is adult yeah this is yeah, legit yeah, yeah, adult yeah. at this point like we're not just dealing with you know high school themes and mm, stuff yeah um the the darker tone also yeah. um Joss talks about uh, wanting to be a little more Batman, right? He wanted to portray yeah. uh, L.A. as a Gotham City kind of thing, which, you know, Bat Batman is tonally a very dark sort of comic. Um, yeah. He, you know, also even just with the theme music, um, he talks about it. You know, you, you get this this heavy cello based uh, theme in the opening and, and, and Joss calls it a sad poignant cello world, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is just kind of a, a, a lovely little turn of phrase. Um, 
you know, so so there's a lot of these, you know, little things that that just kind of make it. Um, and also, you know, you think of cello, you think of more refined music too, you know, which is more adultish music, so to speak. It's not the right. heavy, you know, hard hitting punk rock, uh, right, you know, right. that Buffy has. So, you know, again, you sort of get that similarity. Um, right, also, right. one other thing I would just sort of point out visually is the the cutaways in between scenes. You get these like flashes yeah. that yeah. are yeah. Um, that actually weren't originally in there and they kind of you know they work that up um you know again you know just looking at how to do the transitions properly but but it makes it a little more jagged in mm. a way you know it makes it it's not you know in Buffy you get kind of these clean traditional shot transitions yeah. but um you know you get these little like you know uh yeah just like quick kind of throws you off just a little bit um mm-hmm. bet- from one scene to another so um, yeah, not every not every scene more, it almost in a, even though it's more art i guess those cutaways in some ways are more artificial it makes it feel a little bit more like realist like it's not so much a cleanly edited piece of television as like okay we're going to slice together different bits of footage that we have you know like right. it almost gives it a kind of realism you know that uh something that's more polished seems more, I don't know if artificial is the word, but like more TV, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 And, and like you said, the music, like, even though they're like the, the guitar and the drums do kind of come in, they're much more kind of, a, you know, adult alt rock as opposed to like the kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, energy that the Buffy theme has. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, and the other thing too sorry, is uh, the uh, the title, you know, because noirs always take place in LA. Um, so of <laughs> course this would, and that works perfectly with Angel's name because um, it's the city of angels. Um, and uh, you know, but the, then there's the I- irony of this being the city of angels that the whole episode is about what a what a soul crushing place LA is. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. should never come here. And, uh, you know, so you kind of, it's a kind of ironic flip of that, but just like angel himself is not particularly angelic yeah. despite his name. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and angels are preyed upon here, right? right it's, right. it's the demons that run the city and right. you, and you get that even in the end with, you know, um, winters sort of explaining to angel how things go here you know Mm, here in la this is this is how we do things and and kind of literally is that you know it's the demons that run the city you get this sense um that that's the case and so yeah now now there's a new player in town so yeah definitely you brought up the batman thing i did think of that because they have you know him kind of hovering on rooftops and and doing a lot of you know big jumps off of things and 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 he has you know the the office on top and then the little elevator which descends and even doyle (laughs) calls it a bat cave and stuff so like there are are a lot of little details that and you get the gadgets right the 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 spikes that come out from his hand right and he has the the kind of um 
hook that he uses to climb up the wall and everything. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thankfully, that's a lot better than like the old school TV Batman where they're like, <laughs> they're just on the ground and the camera's tilted to the side. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, and also you get, um, uh, so, oh, what, what was the other thing I was going to say? You get, you get the gadgets, you get the things coming out, you get the, um, yeah, the hooks. Uh, there was something else I was going to throw into the mix, but I can't remember what it was. Um, but anyway, oh, the car. Yeah, like the, oh, right. the yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, it's not it's not a Batmobile exactly, but no. you can almost see like it's not far from a Batmobile. No, like no. it's closer to a Batmobile than to your everyday normal car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's a sleek black convertible getaway car. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely you, you get all these little feels and, and, and those scenes where he's standing on the rooftops, watching down the yep. city, total 100% in the commentary, Joss says, yep, there's a Batman again. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's 100% a call to that yeah, exact yeah. sort of thing. So, um, totally had that in mind. Um, with all of that, I guess we should start talking about the actual characters. So, yeah. Where would you like to begin? So I just want to give out a shout out to my man, Josh Holloway, um, yeah. who made a nice little cameo, a sadly short little cameo. Um, yeah. Well, and I'm, not I'm only... I'm a big Lost fan, so uh, I like seeing Sawyer pop up in things. Um, yeah. Not only a cameo, but I'll mention that it's a debut. Uh, oh, interesting. This, this is his first television uh, uh, appearance. Um, so and probably yeah, his last just, one until Lost. <laughs> uh, he no, was one of those actually, people who was famously out of work for a long time. But uh, I, I I looked it up though. I mean, he so so before I should mention that it's not his first time being in any sort of video. Uh, like five years before this episode, he was in an Aerosmith video as an uncredited. There you go. Thief, as an uncredited thief. So yeah, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. So at least here he's actually pains. I mean, he's, here he's a, actually credited. He's a, he's an excellent actor, so I'm glad to see um, him and stuff. I was sorry to see him go, and I liked that his credit was good looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and before Law, so Law started 2004. Uh -huh. So he had a couple. He had a CSI appearance. He had a, a Walker Texas Ranger appearance, but yeah, largely not not much right. like a couple things so uh but yes this is his television debut oh. for josh holloway so well well done there sir good we, good we for him applaud you. um and we uh well Sorry, you, you were gonna say i think what i was gonna say yeah I, I was just gonna say and we have another lost connection in this episode right through tina uh played by tracy middendorf mm -hmm. um who did not have nearly as big of a role in lost as josh holloway did but uh played in it several episodes as i bonnie i believe was her name yeah as and, and i i didn't know she did seem sort of familiar but i didn't make the connection but once you said bonnie she's one of the ones in the looking glass with charlie uh, mm -hmm. there's like two others who are manning that station. So she gets to kind of beat him up a little bit and she dies and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, once and, you said that, I did, I did recognize her. And, and she looks very different just yeah. by virtue of the roles. I mean, yeah, here yeah. she's, you know, a little more posh and Yeah, polished. no, she's very tough uh, in that and yeah, kind of rougher. Yeah. yeah. So um, easy to sort of miss that. Um, I will tantalize you by mm -hmm. saying angel has 
many lost connections. So uh, be on the lookout for more. All right. I won't. I won't tell you when they might pop up. It might be years from now, quite literally, <laughs> at the pace we're watching this. Yeah. But um, I'll have forgotten but, you said that by the time we get to them. But I but will, I will be on the lookout. There and and there are some that are just so obvious, and and some actual yeah. long running ones that, um, I mean, you will, I have no doubt, quickly spot them. But yeah. uh, there may be other like more subtler ones than. Um, you know, along the lines of like Tracy Middendorf. So hmm. I, I will just point that out just in case, in case you needed reason to continue watching. Um, <laughs> just you so at least I can have... see lost actor cameos. Exactly. Um, that's pretty much all I watch TV for anyway. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, so, so uh, all of that said, where that would you said, like to begin? We should probably with the actually characters. talk about Angel now. Um, okay. We spent way too much time on them. Um, so, uh, it started with a girl, and in film noir, mm. it always does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always starts with a girl. So, you know, I like the kind of... This dame walked into my office. and Yeah, yeah, and she was trouble right from the start. Um, yeah. You know, which is kind of a layered thing because you get him talking. He's kind of drunkenly reminiscing in the bar that, uh, you know, so there's kind of that, you know, sloppy guy talking about his lost love kind of lair but then you get the sense of you know it started with Buffy so it really did start with a girl um and then you get this particular adventure starting because of Tina um mm. so there's kind of many different girls who are you know who are starting things kick-starting things <laughs> um yeah and I guess yep. uh I guess if you want to take it all the way back his original turning into a vampire started with a girl too. Um, mm. So yeah. Oh, and and yeah, that's right. We we must not forget about Darla. No, no. Um, um. Very interesting. Yeah. So I love that you get that right. You get the overdub of you know him talking. You know, Los Angeles. You see it at night and it shines and blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, no surprise there. It started with a girl, and then like it dissolves into him telling this drunken story yeah you know to a guy sitting next to him at a bar <laughs> and you know and she had hair and and yeah you know like you have hair yeah bald. and he doesn't even, <laughs> yeah like she reminds me of you except she doesn't but you have hair except you don't yeah <laughs> yeah 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 well and that's um, just joss right like as much as he's gonna yeah as much as he's gonna use a genre he's also gonna mess with it you know, so if you think this is starting very with very broody angel, then he's gonna start with very silly drunken angel. Yeah. But then even yeah. that is a fake out. You know, it's kind of right. a ruse until these guys he's watching leave so he can follow them um and protect the girls because they're vampires. So yeah. it's kind of very layered there. You kinda of have the, the noir genre layer. You know, but then you have the Joss Whedon humor layer, and then you right. have the kind of action superhero layer, you know, yeah. and they're all kind yeah. of within a space of like a minute. <laughs> right. So, yeah. No, it's kind absolutely. Of a nice way to and... show, it kind of does all the different genres like up front, you know, here's what the show is. It's going to do all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, Joss 
talks about that, you know, he, he, he says, what if the first time we see Angel, he's just this big drunken loser? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because, yeah, you do you could kind of like he's just left Buffy. Right. Or, you know, right. Sometimes soon in the past, like we know that he's just left Buffy and, you know, it's very possible he's turned into just some drunken, nothing, whatever, especially. Right. And I, from... and I didn't, I kind of bought it. You know, I wasn't expecting him to suddenly be, you know, right. Uh, totally sober instantly, you know? Right. Well, and, and we know th- from Whistler, you know, back in, in, then to season two, you know, yeah, who but, tells Buffy yeah. and the story and all that. So like he, you know, we know from that, that, uh, for however many years, Angel kind of was just a loser, a homeless, whatever, right. you know, guy. And, and so you, you get this idea that it actually could be somewhat plausible that he's kind of gone downhill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he, he's not, he's still good angel. He's still fighting the good fight, saving people, um, but doesn't want to really be around them. Right. <laughs> um, the other thing, just from a sort of acting and, and like tonal point of view, Joss talks about wanting to really let um, David Boreanaz kind of shine in himself and show you know, multiple different sides of his acting ability, because Mm -hmm. let's face it in Buffy. I don't mean to say, so I I don't want to say that angel's not a deep character in any way, but we don't get to see him a lot of in, in different character. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a couple moments, like one or two, like the whole, I'm a funny guy. That's kind of funny, you know, yeah. with his dry humor and stuff and, yeah. and the mistaking but even, but even Willow the, and stuff. Well, but. and even the humor is based on him not changing much. Like, it's right. funny because he doesn't change his delivery, and that's what makes it funny. Right. You know, it's right. sort of his, even even his his more, you know, things which you would expect to show range, like humor, are sort of defined by the fact that He's always deadpan. He's always brooding. He's always the same. Um, mm-hmm. So he right. doesn't, just by virtue of the character, didn't get to show that much range, I don't think. Right. And, and you know, that's and that's fine. That's not to say it's a bad character, but... No, no, that's fine. But I think in a show that's based, that's named after him... He should you get do to, have show to show a bit more. And, yeah, yeah. And, and Joss talks about, you know... Boreanaz being a goofball just sort of in real life you know and wanting to really highlight some of the the more um slapstick maybe or not even slapstick but just you know the 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 again that range so you get you know he's acting kind of funny and drunk at the beginning you get the you know him stepping out of the car at the you know and going up to the guard and kind of being like dopey oh I'm such an idiot I went the wrong way can you point me in the right direction you know and um, but then you also get, like you said, you get in the space of a minute, you get, uh, you know, him being um, drunk guy and you get him being, you know, sort of rock star superhero and you get him being, you know, a uh, mean guy who doesn't want to talk to anyone. You know right, what I mean? Right, so, like, right. you, yeah. you do get all of these different um, aspects of Angel as a character there. So, mm. uh, you know, I would say just sort of that's also setting the tone kind of in a way yeah. from a character standpoint of we are going to get a more varied and a more um, 
right. You know, this is multifaceted. More, this is more of a character piece about Angel than we've seen before. Um, right, right, and that and that he's going to you know develop depth and layers that that we haven't seen, which is a good thing. I mean, I think you have to have that. From, sure. Yeah. You know, again, from a show. Yeah, certainly from your main character. Yeah. After that, but yeah. it's but it does it is worth sort of pointing out that that's a different timbre from what we've seen in yeah. uh, Buffy. Yeah. So, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy the moments of dry humor because actually the part that made me laugh the most was <laughs> his. Uh, do you take cream and sugar? I don't have those things. <laughs> yeah, the, it's like why bother kind of, asking? <laughs> the kind of quiet despair with which he admits that um, yeah. was very funny. So I, I like, like I'm perfectly happy to see the character develop, but I also do like the kind of um, laconic, you know, straight-faced kind of yeah. straight man humor too. Um, yeah, yeah. I think once they caught on to that, the characters seemed to work really well. Once they caught on to the fact that him not being funny is the funniest thing. Um, right. So, you know, that seems to kind of be... When he's being intentionally funny, that's where the humor's coming from. But then you, you do get the times, like, when he's acting drunk where it's more of an act, you know, where it's um, not... That's not really how he is. He's, he's trying to fake them out. Um, so he gets to, right. you know, do something he wouldn't normally do, which is act like right. a drunken fool. So, right. Well, and the other part is when he first goes in and he's like trying to do what he thinks is hitting on Tina. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, he's like, hey, that's a cute guy. She just walked right by. Yeah. <laughs> like what guy hasn't been there? Um, you know, like, yeah. And just the different ways that he's trying to get her attention and start a conversation. Um and he he doesn't know like he's never in a long time anyway had you know that sort of right. interest in a woman um you know with buffy it was completely different obviously so yeah it's just hilarious um yeah um so yeah i mean that's and so i think like from an acting point of view that's definitely kind of as doyle would put it the point of this exercise is to explore <laughs> angel see what yeah. what can we what you know directions can we take angel that we haven't seen before um mm -hmm. but we also get from doyle that kind of kind of mission statement of what angel the character wants you know his mm. uh to fight evil and atone for his crimes he's a shadow yeah. a faceless champion of the hapless human race he's cut mm. off from everybody from the very people he's trying to help so um you know and then angel says i still save them who cares if i don't stop and chat so you get a little bit of obligatory yeah. pushback from angel that i don't really want to be around people but i think doyle's uh words are the ones which are really important you know that it's the kind of uh tension between the the only way to atone for his crimes is to interact with people but there's also the reluctance to interact with the people <laughs> so how do you right how do you have both you can't you know so um you know that's part of the atonement is to push push yourself i guess um well and and there's the sense that angel's sort of considering saving the people as the end where doyle's kind of saying no it's a means it's to a means end. yeah yeah that that saving people actually is about 
helping you reach out to them to show right. them, you know, well, he says it's about reaching out to people, showing them that there's love and hope still left in the world. It's about letting them into your heart. It's not about saving lives. It's about saving souls. Hey, possibly your own in the process. And that's, I like that callback because we don't ever hear angel has a soul. Right. Right. But except for that moment where it's alluded to of, you know, possibly you're going to save your soul. And we're reminded, Oh yeah, right. he is a demon with a soul or a vampire with a soul. Like he, and if you're not attending to the soul, then there's something wrong with what you're doing, you know, in all of this. Well, um, and we've seen that, that his soul can be a rather dangerous thing, you know? Yeah. So, um, there's even, you know, the sense of, is that the right, the, it, what if one of the net benefits is, you know, kind of messing with Angel's soul can sometimes be a, a, yeah. a slightly, and, you know, so. And, and with the idea here though, that it's, that it's, the intent is to make it stronger. So, yeah, yeah. and that the way that he's going about saving people actually isn't helping him at all and could therefore be endangering people in the long run. Right. You know, if he's not careful with the way he treats his soul. So, right. no, I think, I think that's all right from Doyle's perspective. And, and of course, you know, I mean, you get, you get sort of the exposition and the whatever. So, um, yeah, again, I mean, it's forgivable. It's a it's, little exposition happy, but it it is a pilot after all. So, yeah, it's the first episode, and um, you know, intentionally set up by Greenwald and and Josh, uh, Josh, Josh Whedon, <laughs> that um, you know, that it they wanted people who hadn't been watching Buffy sure. to understand what was going on here. Yeah, and, and that's so even. Reasonable. Even within that exposition, like you'll notice, um, I, I I really like the delivery that Doyle gives because he goes into sort of like fairy tale time mode, right? Like once upon a time, there was a boy who met a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other, you know, sort of the, the the crafty reason for writing it that way, Joss talks about is is to make sure that they don't ever actually use the word Buffy. Like in that whole exposition part, because they want it to sort of have that feel for people who aren't coming from Buffy. They don't want to like turn them off and say, well, I didn't watch Buffy, so I guess I can't watch this. Right. You know right. what I mean? And, and, and so, but, but I like the effect of that because it does have that sort of, you know, again, that once upon a time-ish feel of, of a yeah. fairy tale and, and gives it that sort of like, you know, this is, this is where we're going, my young children and friends, right, right, like, right. you know, what are we, where, you know, listen now while we tell the story. Um, and not just the story of the episode, but this is setting the whole story for the ongoing series. Well, and, and Doyle is kind of fairy tale-esque in his own way, isn't he? Like, I wasn't really thinking of this before, but like the kind of uh, magical helper who just sort of materializes out of nowhere and, and bestows mm. a gift upon our hero. To, like he gives them these names. Um, yeah. And he gets these yeah, visions yeah. from the powers that be. And he doesn't really know who that is um, right. or where they come from. He seems to think they're benevolent um, and and that they're trying to help. And so it's his job to pass it's interesting. It's it's his job to pass these messages on and to, I guess, prompt and guide Angel, but not necessarily his job to 
assist in the helping because not only do you get his sort of clumsy attempts, like he kind of doesn't really want to drive the car and he almost Mm -hmm. drives away and then he doesn't really know how to drive through the gate and like you kind of get that this is new to him. Um, Yeah. But you, I love the, I love all the car slapstick in this episode too. Yeah, when he's getting in the wrong J- car, J- Angel like, jumped like, and I just love that. Yeah. And 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 that was Greenwald in the commentaries talking about. It. He's like, oh yeah, I totally, I had to have that part in there because, you know, again, you talk about the film noir nopes or film yeah. noir tropes. Nopes, <laughs> Leslie, no. Um, the the man, I just cannot speak tonight. The 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 film noir tropes. Uh, you know, of things like, yeah, you know, it's a big chase scene. So you jump in the car right, and go right, driving right. after the, oh, it's the wrong car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's just it totally. subverts and then, the genre. Yeah. Um, you know, again, oh, you know, I'm going to bust in and save, right? You're thinking of like, you know, Mickey driving through the front doors of the school with K9, right? You right, know, right. Uh, nope, not going to happen. No. This is a big, heavy iron gate. You're not going to drive a car through it. Yeah. You idiot. That's very, um, that's very. It, pro- it, may, it probably doesn't even open that way you know like it probably opens outward not inward so like yeah. it would be impossible to do that it's just sort of things like that right kind of funny. it's very it's very quentin tarantino um he talks a lot about that like his films being genre being crime thrillers but but intentionally subverting them so you're doing a chase scene and the guy you know steals a car and gets in and it's a stick shift and he doesn't drive a stick and, right, and right. so throwing in those little wrenches that just remind you you're in a movie and and life and the movies are slightly different and kind of having fun with things you take for granted you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it just seems like a great gag with the with the mistaken cars because it's like everyone at this fancy hollywood party would be driving like the same car you know (laughs) like like there's probably like a hundred black convertibles in there and they're all exactly (laughs) the same um, yeah. But the other thing yeah. I was going to say with Doyle, too, was besides, like, just getting all the genre stuff wrong, um, is uh, <laughs> that mo- in that little speech that he's giving of, of you know, um, what is it, like, love and hope, and then the, the homeless lady kind of asks for a handout yeah. and says, get a job, you lazy sow. So... There's yeah, that again. That's great. You know, as he's talking about what <laughs> you know that everyone needs atonement and and you're supposed to help people and love and hope and all these things, he means that that's true for Angel. Apparently, that's not necessarily true for him. He doesn't seem to be. Well, and and, and not, he sort of. I don't think he's like. You know, I don't want to extrapolate too much from that, but I think there's a disconnect there between mm-hmm. the message which he is giving angel and his own lack of insight into his own maybe he needs a little uh love and hope and (laughs) and atonement himself and i think that's exactly right i think i think yeah you know doyle talks about oh you know we all have things to atone for he seems to think that just giving angel a message is is atonement you know to atone you know but it would seem like if he's the one getting the messages well, why wouldn't he also be involved in helping out too? So right. I think I think you're right. I think we are meant to see Doyle as someone who maybe has a bit of a journey to travel mm-hmm. as well. You yeah. know, like he's not just giving. I, I will note, um, Doyle was originally supposed to be uh, Whistler. 
they, they were in- originally going to bring Whistler back for this role. Um, the actor wasn't available. So they created they a new guy. Who, yeah, they created a new guy who kind of serves a similar purpose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, totally meant to be sort of a mentor figure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't really know who or what kind of demon he is or has. No, he has is. kind of spiky, kind of bluefish yeah. type spines yeah. that come out of his face. Um, I, I like, you know, well, I come in uninvited, so you know I'm not a vampire. You know, right. like just kind of giving little hints about what he is. Um, but not, we don't really know. He gets these headaches uh, that give him visions um, that he says are from a higher power, uh, the powers that be. Um, so, you know, we'll see what that means at some point, maybe. But yeah. um, just sort of keep that in the back of your mind that there's there's something, something powerful giving him this, right? Telling, sort of telling them what to do. And, and of course, I mean, you see that as the setup, right, of this is sort of how they develop their clientele, at least initially is, you know, um, in Buffy, you have a watcher who's telling, you know, Oh, this is what you should be doing sort of initially. Um, you know, here you have the powers that be whatever that means, you know, if it's, is it a, a spiritual presence? Is it, uh, you know, uh, human or demonic, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, organization. We don't know what that is. Um, you get a similar allusion to the senior partners right, um, right. with with Lindsay McDonald um, kind of at the end there. He's like, oh, no, we don't need to bother the senior partners with this, you know, right, like right. implying that there's some reason why they don't want to bother the senior partners. You might at all. not want to bother them. Um, yeah. So, you know what are these senior partners? And, and right. you know, so you, so you might almost even set up a sort of contention between the two if if you have one that is apparently working towards helping people and another that's apparently working towards you know yeah or at least supporting the um you know more criminal element uh right you know just some just some thoughts there um yeah and then uh and then yeah just just the fact that you know doyle you know even knowing what angel is and and kind of whatever you know, seeing that he's um, willing to sort of go up against Angel, not physically, but say, you know, you're you're wrong. You're doing things wrong. This is what you should be doing. And and I don't care. And it's kind of funny that Angel Angel even sort of pointedly says, you know, I I don't know why I'm still listening to you. But yet he still listens to him. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, there seems to be something, I guess, earnest about Doyle, like. Mm-hmm. even being sort of and and the half demonness right it, angel is a vampire with a soul doyle yeah, is yeah. A, a human on his mother's side right <laughs> you know so you know there's this sense that there's they're these hybrid but they're you know that they're both sort of working you know in the realm of the good um so and and i think a while back you know in talking about buffy i sort of alluded to the fact that there you know are other people sort of fighting the good fight beyond kind of the watchers council and the slayers and all of that kind of thing. And so this Doyle would have been one of those things that I was referring to. I won't, I won't sort of talk beyond that. Well, and we um, got that sense from Whistler because there was always the sense of of Whistler 
representing somebody, you know, right. some larger... And maybe he was group. working for the powers that be as well, right, you right. know, whatever they are. But just the sense of, it's not, it's not just the council and whoever the Slayer happens to be. That there are mm-hmm. these other sort of unnamed, you know, groups, you know, or organizations or whatever that mm-hmm. um, do have sort of agents in place, you know, um... Yeah, and I mean, they chose, they kind of nudged Angel towards going to Sunnydale to, mm-hmm. to help Buffy in the first place. And now, now that he's left that, it seems that they or a similar group has given him a purpose again. That they're once again kind of nudging him towards what he could, how he could be using his time a little bit right. more usefully. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and he's kind of done what he needed to do with Buffy. Right. Right. Like he's kind of helped her to the point where she doesn't need him anymore. Right. And it's actually more dangerous for him to be around her. Right. So, so now, yeah, it's kind of like giving him a new lease, you know, to, to help him. Now he's not just like on a mission, but now he needs to like actively work to save himself from, you know, all of the evil that he did in the past as Angelus. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, anything else about Angel before we talk about maybe the, the other? And we talked a lot about Doyle already, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, any other? I mean, I think most of the other things I have to say might be in relation to Tina. So why don't we? OK, yeah. Um, go to her. Um, so she's because Cordy doesn't even though Cordy is the one who's in the credits and she's clearly going to be the main character. Tina's really the 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 female lead of the episode kind of, um, you know, she's, she's the one who's the client, the one in need of help. Um, so, you know, I think like it is good with this kind of type of story. And we got kind of hints of this in Anne with like, you Mm -hmm. know, that people who leave home and head for LA and then everything, nothing works according to plan, you know, that it's all shattered dreams and, and unfulfilled promise and living hand to mouth and all these things and and uh you know and and young ladies being sort of taken advantage of to put that mildly um mm. so you get kind of a sense of that uh kind of downtroddenness of her you know which is kind of typical of of LA it seems at least in our kind of popular mindset um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and of, so of course she's like small town Midwestern girl goes right, to, right. to Hollywood to be a star and everything. Um, right. but they weren't, so, hiring. but they weren't <laughs> hiring, uh, yeah. you know, so, but you know, it does seem so, you know, again, it, it there's kind of the reveling in those tropes, but then, well, actually I was going to say it's a subversion for her to die at the end. It's actually not, you know, plenty of. Yeah, pretty, pretty ladies get killed in noir movies. What? So that's actually no. Not I want to talk about that. <laughs> but, I want to talk about that because I I I equate Tina to Jesse uh, in in the first episode of Buffy. Yeah. Uh, first two episodes, I guess you know, yeah, uh, yeah. played by Eric Balfour. She is totally set up as a character who right. you think She's is going set up to get as saved. The romantic lead and, and, and he's going to rescue her, yeah. And a recurring right, 
Um, you know, so I, I think we're totally meant to do that. And, and in fact, even the scene where you see, um, you see her talking to Russell and, you know, she's like, Oh, angel turned into this thing and I don't know what it was. And I've never seen anything like it. And he goes, Oh, you're young and becomes a vampire. And then cut angel bursting through the door. Right. Right. And you think, Oh yes, he's going to save her. Split second later, you see she's lying dead on the floor that it's actually, you know, been some time, you know, between, when she was killed and when angel arrived, like it's not a fresh body. It's not, you know, Russell's long gone. She's long dead. Right. And right. Yeah. Not even close. And I think you're right. It's, it's almost that the subversion is subverting because it's not a subversion. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like it actually is that she gets killed and he doesn't save her. And you don't even, you don't even see, um, the actual villain until the third act, which is also sort of, you know, a subversion, I guess, or, or a, you know, willful withholding of kind of who that is. Yeah. But um, I think you get another subversion and not to talk about winters too much yet, but you get another subversion because you're totally getting him set up as a major contender against angel, right. if not potentially a big bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, and I've talked about how angel doesn't really have big bads in the same way, but of course he's going to have enemies recurring, recurring you know, villains, yeah, uh, yeah, villains and stuff. So you can totally see winters being that, but same way by the end of the episode, he's also dead. Right. So I don't know what to make of that. I'm just saying those are definitely, I think those are two sort of intentionally uh, two things that, that, that they're intentionally playing with our expectations and um, yeah. Yeah, no. And, and well, and I keep thinking of more subversions too, because there's also Cordelia being set up as the next victim and then her (laughs) calling out of, of winters that she eventually puts it together that, lots of curtains and no mirrors and i loved that moment of the hey you're a vampire what no i'm not like he's just like <laughs> yeah what no i'm but, not i don't like, know what you're talking that, about that little like it just so it was so understated um yeah yeah <laughs> so no that is a, that is a great scene the deli- <laughs> both of their deliveries yeah. of that like Cordy's complete shock and amazement at, hey, you're a man, and conviction even. Yeah. You know, like, I've seen a vampire. I know. And, and of course, you know, she, what is it again? It's the decor that tells her exactly. that she's in a, yep, the home yep. of a vampire. Yep. It's not, you know, that he has fangs or, you know, that he's acting strangely. It's, no, it's oh, wait, you you have no mirrors, it, and I like to look at myself. And he's no not, not there, afraid and, to emphasize the curtains. And there's and, heavy curtains. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what? No, I'm not. <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is a great, great little back and forth there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So again, like as much as you're, as much as they're kind of reveling in this kind of trope heavy storytelling, it's also throwing in enough, uh, I guess, twists and surprises and sort of more subtle or complicated twists into them that kind of keep you from thinking you know what the story is or how it's going to go or what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I I think so just sort of rounding out 
you know, Tina, I mean, of course it sucks that she dies, but mm-hmm. I think, um, I think the important thing though, is that scene, I mean, there's, there's sort of a number of important things maybe with her character, but I think sort of the biggest one is that scene where Angel takes her back, you know, to his house and you get the conversation, you know, Oh, well, I guess is the part where you're, where you comfort me. Right. And he's like, no, it's, it's where you have a safe place to stay. Yeah. And I think that that's right. Again, kind and, of, a and she's sort of, of right, her she expectations. Sort of, right. She short, she breaks down, you know, boy, are you in the wrong town? And then she's like crying, you know, like, yeah, just of relief, you know, yeah. that, that like, it really seems like, um, especially given the distrust that she has of him. Right. Um, and still sort of has with him, right? You know, like she she thinks that he's part of Russell's plan or whatever. And of course, you know, she runs out because she ultimately sees that note. Um Right. You know, and 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 thinks whatever, but and never gets a chance to be proven otherwise. But um but I think that's that's just a really touching scene, and I think that that's that's sort of what persuades Angel too, right? Because that's it's it's seeing that hurt and seeing her get killed, of course, which kind of sends him off to, um, you know, to winter's house and, and, and anger and rage and, you know, all of Mm -hmm. that. But, uh, you know, I think that's the, that's the human moment, right. Where he's actually, he is having empathy and trying to provide a safe place, which is contrasted with the girls at the beginning where he was just like, get away from me. Right. Right. I saved you. But now you need to go walk through the dark alleys of this awful city and find your way home. Right. Like, like, you know, like he's not giving them a safe place to go to. He's not offering anything more than the immediate. I just stake this vampire. Turn the corner. There may be five more that attack them and, you know, they're goners. Right. He he doesn't care. But but now with Tina, he's at least making an effort to, you know, provide that safe place and provide, uh, you know, and not try to take advantage of her, um, you know, partly because, you know, we know what would happen if he has the moment of happiness, but also, you know, I think this is just him genuinely being sort of a good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, well, and you get, that is kind of a, a, another little theme in here of, of, you know, these girls who come here with these high hopes and, and are sort of taken advantage of because you also get mm. Cordy, um, mm you know, with the same in, she's sort of in an earlier stage of the same process as, you know, you kind of get the idea that eventually she might, you know, she has the potential to turn out like Tina sort of broke and with nowhere to go and all sorts of bad people who want a piece of her and everything. Um, and you even get that teeny little suggestion of kind of what, she might be willing to do you know when she's talking with winters and like he says he's going to help her and she kind of pauses and then she says what do you want me to do like you know what she thinks he wants her to do same thing as what tina thinks angel wants her to do so you get that sense of uh you know this is a harsh world for the women you know um and yeah, it's just a little, I think it kind of goes with the the rough kind of dirty L.A. setting. Um, and with this sort of noirish damsels in distress kind of theme that you get. Um, 
It's yeah. but it's it but it's one thing for Tina, who's kind of the archetype of that. But I don't like seeing Cordy in that position. <laughs> you know, I think it in some ways, not that it doesn't mean anything when Tina says it, but when it's Cordy, it's like, no, <laughs> you want her to be, you know, because uh, she's the one we've really, even though she's more of a supporting character in this episode, you know, we know her really well, and we know she's going to be more of a main character going forward. Um, so I think that's like a nice subtle little hint of how dangerous this place is, is you get... You get desperate, and then you get people like this guy saying, I'll give you whatever you want, but then you're indebted to him. Um, right. You know, and he's dangerous because he's a vampire, but he's also just dangerous because powerful people who tell you they'll do stuff for you if you do stuff for them are also dangerous, you know? Um, right. He's dangerous in different ways, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, um, okay. We kind of skipped all around. I'm we trying to figure did. out how, um, well, how much more we need to talk about. So one I, other thing court, too sorry, with, well, one other thing too with Winters, um, he, he did have kind of a mayorish vibe to me of that mix of mm. kind of bureaucratic and sort of harmless and normal looking like you know when he turns up and this is the monstrous russell that we've been hearing so much about he's just kind of right. a normal guy you know he doesn't seem that threatening yeah he seems sort of reasonable and benign and everything and and it's that same kind of the evil which is lurking under these people in positions of power who seem mm -hmm. sort of you know nice and good on the outside and uh not so much underneath so yeah it's a nice little um, carryover from one show to the next i think yeah and and definitely he just as a villain is sort of one of those other tropes um you know uh he's sort of a classic you know rich powerful older white guy right, who yeah. you know gets what he wants and yeah. um has money to pay for lawyers to watch over mm -hmm. him and and, you know, is always getting out. We, we get Lindsay McDonald, you know, and when he kind of stands up between Angel and, and Winters and he's, you know, oh, Mr. Mr. Winters has never been, uh, you know, accused or convicted of anything, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, you know, who who did we 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 let a leak out to the police that we saw a dark complected man running from the scene, right, of, right. you know, what, you know, just. You know, right? Not kind only, of obvious, not but only, subtle at the same time. You know, like <laughs> well, it is because it's not only do I have a killer lawyer who gets me out of all sorts of jams. I don't even get accused of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. like my the people I have working for me are so powerful that I'm yeah. protected from even the accusation that I might be doing anything wrong. You know, that's how powerful he is. Mm -hmm. So just by saying right. that, like. He's never been convicted and shall never be accused of a crime or whatever he says. Like, mm -hmm. that's even that's even an extra layer from here's my cutthroat lawyer, you know, who will get me out of whatever case or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and we get Lindsay saying, oh, you know, we're a full service firm, you know, so kind of implying that, yeah, they'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, the interesting reaction to, you know, what happens, they just lost someone who was apparently a pretty big client. You know what I mean? Like, uh, right at the end there, what's he do? Oh, he calls a meeting, you know, at four (laughs) o'clock. Let's have a conference meeting. So very, I guess I've sort of transitioned from talking from winners to to Lindsay. But, uh, you know, just that idea of you you have to wonder who's the real power. Like, he doesn't even seem phased by the fact that one of his big clients just got killed. That's one client out of many, maybe not even the most important one. You know, it's kind of annoying, but it's not as though it's really going to affect much. Right. Um, he's not freaking out about it or anything. No, no. And and there's these senior partners who you said in a very kind of way reminiscent of Snyder and the mayor who, you know, was kind of, let's not disturb the mayor. Like, you know, do you want me to tell the mayor? Like, that's a big threat. Like, these senior mm-hmm. partners, you don't really want to disturb them. I don't get the sense, so. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the implication that yeah. we, we don't need to take it to them. We can handle this right. on our level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we don't know much about Lindsay. Um, he works for Wolfram Unhart, mm-hmm. uh, and and he's a lawyer or something of that ilk. Um, we don't even know if he's fully human, I suppose. There's a possibility he could not be. Um, and And... We'll learn more, I'm sure. Um, Christian Kane, who plays him, uh, who plays plays Lindsay, uh, was actually, I guess, good friends with uh, David Boreanaz um, even before Angel. And uh, I guess this was kind of their first time acting together and just really thought it went well. And and so Hmm. um, there, there may be other instances where we see him in this no we'll see him in the <laughs> series I, I won't even pretend that that's like a question yeah, yeah um but uh how and when i will will not say okay uh any any final thoughts overall um i i it sounded like you liked it are, so are you excited to see where we go next yeah absolutely well too bad because we're going to buffy next um <laughs> no that's gonna sorry, be the no. way of it see I totally subverted right. your answer. You did. There. You set me up, and then you pulled the rug out from under my feet. I, yep, absolutely did. Although the next Buffy episode is good. Much as when Angel saw Tina dead on the floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, All right. No, good stuff. But but I, you know, I guess again, just sort of, I like that we we're, we don't know what's going to happen next, right? Because the the love interest that we thought was going to continue right. is clearly not, and the the you know, pro, uh, the antagonist that we thought was going to continue is clearly not. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of question about, you know, where do we go from yeah, here? Yeah. A much and, more, uh, a much more standalone beginning than, than the Buffy, which set up a lot of mythology and a lot of different characters. This kind of, we have Angel and Cordy and Doyle, but beyond that, and, and, and Lindsay, I guess. Um, but mm. beyond that, it's sort of a blank canvas in terms of where we're going. So, yeah, I'm yep. excited. Oh, yep. and we got um, the phone call to Buffy. Oh yeah, yeah. So, little, I told you, little Easter it wouldn't egg. be long. No. Yeah, no. It it's clearly you know thrown in there just for the the Buffy fans for the people who are watching over. both episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and once again, I think we've mentioned this before, but this is, um, you know, definitely a a. Yeah, well, they they ran back to back, right? So there's, yeah. you know, the idea was absolutely to draw in, you know, one fan, set of fans to another, and and for quite a while that is the case. So yeah, um, you know, obviously that's not a big plot point, but there are times where where the plots will actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, bleed one into the other as well. So just just sort of. To, a reminder there that this is, you know, again, we're, we're seeing the one thing happen and then getting sort of the payoff right. in the next, next thing. And, and that this won't be the last time that happens. No. And that's why we're <laughs> um, doing the viewing this way is so stuff like that pays off, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Cool. So very cool. exciting. All righty. Well, until, uh, Oh, one, sorry, totally didn't want to, um, forget but i think we had one other thing we wanted to mention and i'm trying to remember what it was oh um, i remember wesley oh yes 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 wesley. i'm, I'm um, impatiently waiting for wesley although i realize that that might be for rather a long time since we're alternating these episodes but yeah um, i don't know when to expect to see him but i look forward to it I won't, and I won't tell you when you should expect to see him because I think it's more fun if I don't. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not within the first couple episodes. I'll give you that much, uh, which just means it's not in the next episode either because we've already seen the first episode. Um, so there, there we go. There, there you go. <laughs> um, all right, and and until. Uh, until next time, I guess. Uh, again, we're going to be going to Buffy season four, episode two, and yep. uh, that's uh, that's that. So, all right. <laughs> See you then. Hello.